You're listening to a Time Machine podcast. Old movie Time Machine. An adventure through time and or space. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Old Movie Time Machine. Jay-Z here, joined as ever by my incredible panel of international experts at being human in the present day, starting with the one and only, welcome back to the program, Catherine. Hello. And who could forget her, my sister and yours, Carolyn Nowrose. Hey, sis. Hey there. And of course, our Trishy Boo, she is uh, on assignment right now. She is deep uh, undercover, exploring some things in a different timeline. We'll get caught up with her. Maybe she wanted to catch up with the end of Vertigo or something like that. I, I don't know where she's at, but she has taken <laughs> taken a day off, and that is quite all right. So you're such a taskmaster. Like we, you know, know. got to put these things in advance. Our requests for time off. I know, and you know, we have a system in place for that. Nobody uses it, of course. But I mean, you can just go put your dates in there. It will shoot me an email. I will be alerted, and then I will just have to approve that time off. That's all. I don't know why this is so hard. It's a simple nine-step process, but it is what it is. And here we are. Life rolls on. I know. I'm such. I'm so stern, though. Right. I'm always like. Travel through time over here. No, 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 no. Over here now. And uh, fortunately, the team of international experts is up to the challenge, especially this week as we continue on with our little mini series here. We're calling it, for better or for worse, Old Time Movie Machine, which is looking at more contemporary films that are trying to recreate the time that we typically look at, which is 1945 to 1965. So last week we had the vast of night this week. I mean, we're, we're two for two so far, as far as uh, good ones goes, I would say we're talking 2002's Todd Haynes's far from heaven. Wow. Okay. So shame on me. I've never seen this movie before. And I absolutely should have. I mean, it kind of undermines the entire premise of our program. It's doing everything. It addresses all of the issues, this movie, that we talk about all the time. So after we're done with this one, gang, we can just shut it down. We can just shut the whole project down. No, 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 no. We're, we're going to hang in there. There's more to explore. There's always more to learn, more to, to rifle through. But this is a great place to start. Far From Heaven, directed by Mr. Todd Haynes, who I don't know. Do you guys recognize this name? Do you know anything about his oh. filmography? Very interesting filmmaker. Did Velvet Goldmine with uh, Ewan McGregor playing an Iggy Pop type character. It was kind of like glam rock, early 2000s. When this movie came out in 2002, I was in film school and everybody was talking about it. However, in 2002, I was also 21 years old and this is not on my radar at all. I was very busy at 21 living in the city, (laughs) but I do recall the actual quality film students in the program really saying a lot of things about this movie. So I'm glad to finally be caught up and see that, oh yeah, right. I see. This is why people talk about this. But let's go to the panel here. Catherine Sherlock, do you have a one? Oh wait, you're the hammer. We save yours for last. Carolyn Nowrose, do you have a one-line review for 2002's Far From Heaven? Yeah, it's... uh glossy reproduction of 
fifties life in America, but it's hitting all the sweet spots. All the spots. Yes. All those itches. Maybe you wanted to scratch with some of the other melodramas we've watched, but they just didn't have the opportunity to, it was never, uh, it was never on the menu, so to speak, but it's on the menu here. Big time. In fact, there's only one course for this meal and they are delivering it to you. Piping hot. But Catherine Sherlock, what do you say? What's your one-line review for Far From Heaven? If you have one, I usually ask. <laughs> but this time, I'm going to demand because I'm a taskmaster. Give wow. it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Like, just off the top of my head. No, actually, I did write this down. Um, okay. So, it's a story about uh, the inequality of love and the lie of the perfect American family. However, it is ravishing to look at. Yes. All, all of the above. Totally true. Mm-hmm. It's a sight to behold. Let me give you the the intro here to our summary, and then we'll discuss the first act of this incredible movie. <laughs> the time is 1957. The space is Hartford, Connecticut. Kathy Whitaker is a woman who has it all, 1950s style. A beautiful home, a son, a daughter, and a well-employed husband, Frank, who drinks a lot and trolls for liaisons in the gay underground. Things become more complicated when Kathy is seen being nice to a strange black man, black capital B, Raymond Deegan, the guy who does her yard work and also catches her husband kissing another man at the office. Frank agrees to conversion therapy, but it's complicated. Wow. That is a lot happening to kick off any film or series of films. There's a lot happening in this movie. And who knew there was so much happening in the suburbs, eh? Yeah. I mean, I sh- we should not There's be surprised. There's always a lot happening in the burbs. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, I mean, right off the bat, it's a great point, Catherine. I mean, as we look back, the entire purpose of this exercise is like, how close are these modern filmmakers getting to the real deal? I think aesthetically and lifestyle-wise, it's all there, but as far as what they're talking about here with race relations and queerness in the 1950s, it's pretty amazing, right? I mean, it's... uh... Yeah, I think just one of those um, issues would have been like a a hot topic to hit, but like both in the same film and to actually pull that off. Yes, with that... mm -hmm. But I think it was necessary to do that in order to like divest um, Julianne Moore's character of like any responsibility to her marriage. Um, Mm. Because if it were, if her husband were cheating on her with a woman, it would somehow be a failing on her part as a wife or she would feel that, or that would be somehow implied. Not that that's true, but with him, with him being gay, then it has nothing to do with her. Yeah, and th- and there's no place for him in society to tap into that part of himself. So I guess, how do we f- do? We think that this is an accurate portrayal of of at least some slices of life in this time. I mean, this has to be the case. I'm really curious as to what the actual numbers might be. I'm sure well, that's something we can never know. But similar situations surely arose during this time period in real life that would be a you know, normally addressed, we would address them in films today like this, but back in the day, that's a no-go. You know, we should say that this is a direct pull from all the Douglas Sirk melodramas mm-hmm. that we've been watching. So they even had like a golden rain tree branch. 
They had a golden. <laughs> yes, the, the golden. In my head, I kept hearing that drop. Yes, of course. <laughs> one of the one of the great all time drops. They call it the golden rain tree. They call it the golden rain tree, and he's absolutely right. And is this a, a modern hard reboot of All That Heaven Allows? Oh yeah, much. it is. And yet, it's whereas that movie dealt with middle age and being a woman in society, uh, being a, a widow in society in that day and age and what that means and also taps into class issues. It's doing all the same things. It's just dancing around the real issues that Americans were facing, which are race relations and equality for all, no matter what your stripe is, you know? I, I think that this movie in far from heaven gave a little bit more of a realistic ending as in it wasn't tied up with a pretty bow where like, okay, we're going to be together now. And some like idealized world, you know, she was, she's going to be by herself. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's another twist on this format that we are now so accustomed Mm -hmm. to uh, is the, is the fact that there's not really a happy ending. Frank gets the happy ending of all the people. Yeah. The, 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 the men, you know, they, Mm -hmm. they managed to find a way and to be together, but it's an absolute no-no for a white woman and a black man to be together in this time. Anywhere, it sounds like, because he's moving somewhere, like, totally out of, like, that area. Mm-hmm. And this is um, taking place in Connecticut, which is very north. Right, but as this film, I think, really gets at portraying is that, okay, yes, we're, we're liberal in the north, but at the same time, there's still its communities are not diverse. They're still not mixed together. Um, your minority folks are servants to the white upper echelon. Yeah, they are still the help. Yeah, they're still exactly. They're still. And, the and I mean, Kathy treats them, you know, a- absolutely as if they are on the same level. <laughs> But she's almost mm. the only one in the neighborhood who, who who does. Everybody else is like looking out for things to. She simultaneously think. manages to be both the most of that time type of person, but also the most out of time person for for that time as well. She mm-hmm. she has all the hallmarks that we see with the Jane Wyman character that we have seen in Magnificent Obsession and all that heaven allows, and you know similar roles. But yes, she she doesn't seem to think twice about it. It's not it's not a, a question for her whether or not she should support the NAACP or no. whether she should talk to the help or but her friends seem to question her on that. Oh, definitely. All yeah. the time. Yeah. Yeah. Which is something that, you know, it is just an interesting theme. And obviously they need to weave that in somehow in this film to make that particular this particular storyline makes sense is that like okay well she's not your average gossiping housewife in the burbs you know she's Mm -hmm. she's got a conscience and um is is concerned with some of the the bigger themes of of the day and i'm curious it's one of the the things that they don't really dig into very much is is why that should be for this character like i wonder where that comes from do they ever make any reference to her background to why that should be i mean it's it's the only thing i mean it's it's interesting for her being the the star of the film we get almost the least out of her internally what's Mm -hmm. that 
we get the least amount of information about her other than she's a wife and a mother and she has to play hostess. So she has all these household responsibilities that she has to take care of, but we don't know anything about her family, her background. I mean, this is also a couple of years before Mad Men. Yes. Mm. But this film is, you can tell is like a precursor, almost positive. They must've watched this. Like we could make a whole TV show out of this, asking these same questions. Like what's the backstory on the wife? Why would she be that way? You know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because that look, the, the feel, the house is in Connecticut, the way the office looks at Magnatech, et cetera, all like, it's yeah. very specific to this time period. Definitely. And the way that this film is shot, it's it's a mm-hmm. complete mirror of the vintage films of this strain of melodrama. I, mean, I, I fell in love with it almost immediately because it opens with the exact same opening of All That Heaven Allows, where we're looking at branches on a tree and swooping down over a town square. And we're following these beautiful, immaculately preserved classic cars not to be too car heavy or anything, but the cars okay. look fucking fresh off the lot. They look incredible. I was actually and wondering about and watching that opening, like, okay, what was the production value of this film? Because it's period and they needed the cars, the clothes, the clothes are obviously made and color coordinated. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I mean that, that scene where the, the ladies were all gossiping, you know, gossiping outside and, Every single dress matched like the foliage, the foliage. It was absolutely stunning, really. Yeah, they they nail the color palette perfectly. Mm. Everything is super saturated and and just of a shade or hue that you do not see in modern modern times. I wish we did, but the only thing I really felt that was missing from this film that all that heaven allows gave us was sort of like the new England barn slash mill vibes and some Buffalo clad. Like we didn't get any true. sort of like out true outdoorsy moments of like snuggle up by this fire. And <laughs> yeah, Kathy doesn't get her converted uh, mill barn lifestyle that I maybe just, she, I just feel bad for Kathy at the end of this. So I'm like, Oh God, this is going to be, a, a lonely life for her. Mm. I do like the change that they made towards the end, though. She went from the big full skirts yes. to the okay. pencil skirt. It was very specific. Oh, okay. So what does that signify for you? I didn't notice that. I, I don't. Well, <laughs> don't give me that look. I, I don't wear skirts. Modern woman. Somehow. Modern woman, yeah. Okay. okay. And like, yeah. It's I mean, taking away the like the I would almost say girlishness of the yes. full skirt, the helplessness, the helplessness. Uh, okay. Yes, to okay. being like, this is it. I'm business like now. Mm. Yeah, well, and she is going to have to be in charge of her family now. It, it would appear so. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, you know, I'm always looking for. We talk about anachronisms and things that are out of time. The show is actually slightly starting to ruin watching period films for me because of this very thing, you know, me and my street signs. So I was watching Ridley Scott's American gangster a couple weeks ago, which is set in the early 1970s. Yeah. Yeah. And I could not get over 
the street signs because they're green and the green signs were introduced until the very early 1980s. And they're just all over. I mean, like big close-ups of these street signs to let you know where you are in the city and everything. And it really stood out. And for a, a wonderful film, my man Denzel doing his thing, it, that took me out of it slightly. So that being said, looking at this film, everything is pretty spot on, like as close as you can be. The only thing that I noticed I'm curious what you guys think is that they in Kathy and Frank's bedroom, they have one bed, which I feel like, I wonder if that more accurately reflects the reality of how couples lived back then, or did they just miss the fact that everybody sleeps in separate beds it's, back in the day? In, in the bedrooms, I thought, because at one point she literally tucks him in like she a baby. Does tuck him in. You're right. Yeah. And yeah, then yeah. She leaves, And I kind of, I didn't know whether she was leaving into a different bedroom, but that's true. Maybe I'm they not have like a her suite where it's. Could I mean, we, I, sometimes just, I'd like to have two separate beds. I, I know many couples would. <laughs> many couples have their arrangements. <laughs> I, I understand this, but I, it's just it seemed anomalous to me seeing all the bedrooms that we've seen over the past year or so from right. this era, and I guess. Wait, even in um, the long, 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 long trailer? Yeah, they both had separate beds. There were separate beds in yeah. that motorhome. Yes. We couldn't, couldn't hint that like, even a married couple would like they, spend They must have touched. Married people don't touch. Uh, in That's... the horizontal position. No. Yeah, no. Nope. <laughs> they are up as far away from each other as can be in the back of a And like, like tucked all the way up to the neck in like some kind of like pajama. Yes. Are you saying they're not Netflix pulling? Lock, <laughs> like, lock those goodies up. There's no place for those in, in society. Like, also a time period where, where dogs were living lives outside and they weren't allowed in the house. And, you know, unlike my mm. dogs, I'm like, you're on the bed. Yeah. So I guess on the tucking in of the husband note, let's let's start with Frank. And then mm-hmm. as we get into act two, maybe we'll bring in some more Raymond as, as he enters Kathy's story a bit more. But how do we feel about the Frank scenario? Because surely this happened in the 1950s. Uh, there's there's minimal language on how to deal with this if you if you are a person trying to come to terms with yourself and how you are and who you are and all this. We see right right away he's getting picked up right from the police. He's been presumably caught trolling for some strange, we would imagine. And yeah, Catherine, like you say, it, there's the the drunken tucking in scene, which in which she's a very much a motherly figure to her husband. Mm. And he is very he seems very much like a lost little boy through a lot of this. Yeah. He comes with his himself. Who is it? Dennis Quaid that plays him? Yes, doing an amazing job playing him, like the perfect, perfect casting, I thought. Right. I feel like he was just sympathetic enough and believingly troubled and also masculine and angry. Yeah, he he embodies all of it pretty right. well, I think. And that's But that's, he, he still made it sympath made it sympathetic. I mean, it's a I felt like it's a very complex character and he did a mm-hmm. great job. Yeah, I was really surprised not Having he's never been a favorite of mine. I mean, there's never been anything in particular that stands out, other you know, like inner space or something like that. But that's a hundred years ago. So I, yeah, I was surprised to see. And he is 
kind of notoriously supposed to be kind of an asshole, I think, in real life as a real person. So, and and a bit conservative as well. So I think I I find it a bit surprising that he would take on this role, but I'm glad he did because, yeah. Yeah, it was full on kissing of another man. Oh, yeah. They they go for it. And that's Mm -hmm. the thing about this movie, which is you you are watching a, a lovingly crafted recreation of these melodramas. And then all of a sudden Dennis Quaid's telling his wife to fuck off or whatever he says in that one scene yeah. after the, the therapy session. And you are immediately pulled out of it and into a real marriage. And it's, it's shocking. Right. I was, I was kind of stunned by it, but it was, it was, and it's about a half an hour into the film. So they've laid the groundwork to, to lure you into this, sense of false security that things are as we think they are. And then they're just proven to be very much not. And uh, this idea of conversion therapy still exists today. Uh, crazily enough, that shit ain't real. That, that, that stuff doesn't work everybody, but whatever. In the 1950s, they're trying to figure out uh, productive ways to cope with homosexuality or, uh, you know, what they would, Anything different. Yeah, anything exactly. Anything different right. from the norm. And so when we we see part of this therapy, uh, not to get away from the seriousness of the issue, but the his therapist's office is such a perfect microcosm of the beautiful recreations that we get to a to a degree where like I was recognizing artwork on the walls. They have that like profile relief sculpture of Nefertiti hanging uh-huh. next to his desk. That's on the wall. I checked. I, I went back to our, our stills and that's on the wall in uh, written on the wind at one of the hotel rooms that, uh, okay. that the dudes stay at down in Miami. So that's, that's such perfect art design. Well done team. Whoever pulled that yeah. one very well done, but we, we see the limits of what this type of therapy uh, has and just, it's not going to work. You're not going to be able to deprogram him. Sorry. Uh, he kind of like almost like at the end when he is telling her, like, I didn't know it could love could feel that way. You mean like, yeah. just kind of like, I mean, you want to like give him a round of applause and be right. like, go live your, go live your life. Yeah. And, exactly. like, and then on the flip side, you're just watching her just be like be my awesome. entire life just imploded. Exactly. Like you didn't love me then and the kids, you know, right. how, how did they saw everything's a lie. Right. 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 Which is pretty awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, she is just so classy about everything. There was no like losing so supportive. it. Supportive. So, yeah. uh, such a, such a partner, such a teammate with it. To do that. 1950s housewife, let me mother you through this yeah. crisis of yours and put mine on the back burner. Yeah. And because he, that's what women do. The man comes first. Right. Well, as soon, when, when Kathy gets her own Magnatech uh, advertising job, then maybe we can have that conversation, Catherine. But as it is, she has not been in that office for the past eight years building this life. It's such a, Awesome, brutal takedown of traditional masculinity, and mm-hmm. I love it. It's great. Uh, how do we feel about the dangerous liaisons, though? I think this is where, you know, again, he's he starts cursing at her in a very modern way, and we see him on his 
mini journey into escapism. He escapes into the bottle. He's drinking heavily. He's chain smoking the entire time. I mean, talk about ashtray counts. It's a, again, perfect reproduction of the times. I was counting ashtrays in these people's houses and they're everywhere on every flat surface as they rightfully should be. Right. Cause it's 1957, but we follow him as he tries to hide from himself. Uh, but he's still, you know, he can't help himself and he finds himself in these sort of underground corners where men seek out other men. So there are apparently certain bars back then, uh, a certain upstairs area at the movie theater showing three faces of Eve. And uh, apparently this was a color coded film. I mean, the, the colors are so incredible and diverse. Why, why wouldn't it be? But green is the color of mystery for this movie. So when they're at the movie theater, it's kind of greenish and mysterious. When he goes to the gay bar, it has, it's lit with green lights. When Mm. Kathy goes to the all black restaurant with Raymond later, that's lit with green lights. So, I mean, this is, you know, if we want to pull back the curtain on how you put together a quality film, this is part of it. And thinking about these things and how it's, it, subconsciously plays on the audience's mind but otherwise yeah so he does end up meeting with a guy and he takes it back to his office he's he's working late hours and this is one of the reasons why that would be the case and kathy being the incredible let's put my husband's life first before my own is very nice and brings some dinner over to him but does open the door onto him smooching another fellow and it's really difficult. You know, it's it's this, the beginning of the collapse for her, the life that she once knew. And presumably for Frank as well. So Yeah. Yeah. I personally thought that they did a good job of showing those tensions. And there was, a, <laughs> there was also a lot that wasn't said. It did a very good job of show, don't tell. Um, in terms of like, there's a lot of subtext and conversations that I think are left to the audience to, to determine what kind of conversations were had between husband and wife. Certainly. Yeah. It, it did kind of feel almost like they didn't, they didn't have a vocabulary for what was happening. Right. Um, and that was kind of spilling into like physical frustrations. I mean, there was the moment where uh, he struck Kathy. Yep. Yes. And then, uh, you know, we're into sort of, you know, that whole kind of, oh, no, I, I hit my head on a cupboard kind of Right, right. Thing. It's another one of those shocking, very, oh, they wouldn't have shown this back then, or at least not presented it in the same way. It would have been a more, you know, come to your senses, woman, but not when your boner isn't working. Yeah, it's like the whole visuals and setup were of that time, but the storytelling was definitely modern. And yes. that was almost a bit shocking, uh, given, I think, our um, background in watching original films from that era. Yeah. You're almost a little bit like, oh, oh. Right. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's, uh, it's a shocking thing to see mm. under, the, under those circumstances that we're so familiar with now. And I think you kind of get that reaction from the neighbors. Like, I'm just thinking about um, the scenes with, with Julianne Moore's character, what is her name? I'm blanking. Ka- uh, Kathy. Kathy and uh, Mr. Deegan. Mm-hmm. It's like when the other other people are watching, when the neighbors and the other ladies of the neighborhood are watching them, they're like, oh, oh yes. 
Oh my oh, they can't believe it. To them. Yeah. And this is, it's, it's an incredible setup that they do to bring in Raymond where, you know, all of this is going to impact Kathy's life. Kathy is seen as we see in the beginning of the film as sort of paragon of the modern 1950s woman running a household. And she has the successful husband. And really, of course, because it's the 50s, we're going to frame her successes through the lens of her husband's successes. And, you know, it's, it's of course, Frank, he's doing an incredible job. But, you know, so much of this comes down to you, too, allowing him to do an incredible job. And your house is perfect. And they seem to be living the ideal. And so we have an amazing home bar. Mm-hmm. They have an amazing home. Everything that's Every, an incredible house. A beautiful house. Yes, it's yes. Spectacular. It's yeah, a great. But I'm just saying the fact that they legit have like a cocktail bar in their house. Yeah, with like the wraparound Rap, mm-hmm. bar with Rap, a countertop. Like, that's nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Oh yeah. I mean, all of it. It's it's a really nice bridging of the gap between big old classic '50s Hollywood set and big old classic '50s house. And it just takes the set and makes it into a real place. And that's, and that's nice to see. Obviously, a house meant for entertaining. Definitely, which they do. that era meant for entertaining, which yes. they do. And, you know, when you think about, like, that's the time period, that's what women were in charge of. That It is a lot of work. Like, I'm sorry, but trying to, in the generation of, I can do it all and I can have it all. Mm-hmm. A house and a house of that size, even you got help, it's still a full-time job to organize all that stuff and the kids' schedules and the blah, blah, blah. And then if you work full-time on top of it, I mean. Yeah. Well, she does have Viola Davis on the payroll to help uh, put those things together. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how she does it otherwise. And this is a, a another bit of cagey storytelling by the filmmaker where it's, again, we're watching these these party scenes and they look identical to a party scene from a film of the age. However, we're seeing the reactions of the servants, all of whom are African-American, of course, mm-hmm. and we're seeing them uh, being talked through or talked about as if they weren't there by the white party guests. Mm-hmm. And, and whereas normally we would not focus on them at all, we would just see them in the background moving somebody. Yeah, they would be like the furniture. Yeah, it would it would just be oh the vehicle to bring me more drinks has arrived. Thank you. Right. Mm. Uh, you know, but in this case, this is where you're like it made the audience feel uncomfortable. Where you're like, oh god, you just said. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah. It was like it was really. It, yeah, which I mean, is also very cool how they did that. I mean, cinematically that they could make this party seem so realistic and then also v- in a very like without even saying again showing not telling like mm-hmm. th- that's awful mm-hmm. <laughs> yes absolutely that's yeah, shocking and- for modern eyes yeah the showing not telling it's it's critical here because we are just following people's very muted expressions mm-hmm. and that's enough to to give us insight the same way when we follow frank when he goes to the the movie theater to explore and, you know, and then goes to the bar afterwards. I mean, we're just watching him take it all in and and sort of seek out other connections in a similar way. Um, you know, if you can imagine being gay anytime, let alone in the 50s, it's not something you can come out and say. There's no internet. There's no website. There are no apps to hook you up or whatever. Like, if, if there's a real bit of considerable danger to come out to somebody or proposition somebody or hit on somebody or whatever the case may be, 
Mm. Um, but they, they put that across just with his facial expressions and mm -hmm. it's really well done, I think. Hey everybody, we're interrupting our own program to sell you some of our own stuff as we do. Over in the Tee Public store, the link is in the show notes, you guys. This week, I want to put some shine on our new design. It is a Shroudshire shirt. It's a Shroudshire shroud. And it's just, you know, because we love the Munsters' homeland. We love where they come from in East Gasping in the old UK. I mean, Catherine, you know East Gasping, of course. Yeah, I mean... It, you yeah. fly through there all the time, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, of course you know, who runs the business over in Shroudshire, but nobody but the Griffin. So it's got a fabulous Griffin design on it, says Shroudshire. I mean, like it just tells people where your allegiances are. And that's what we want. You can get this on a t-shirt, tank top, a hooded sweatshirt, regular sweatshirt, crew neck, if you will. Uh, you can get it on coffee mugs. You can get it on a notebook. You can get it on a tote bag. And of course, I'm always trying to sell these big old flags. You can get it on like a tapestry type thing. And you can have it, and you can you could maybe even make it into a flag, raise it up on your flagpole underneath the old stars and stripes, of course. Come on, everybody. It's a movie time machine. We're looking at American life over here, except when we're not. So if you do that, go buy one to three of each of those items featuring our new Shroudshire design. And if you do, we're going to thank you, just like we will right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Great job, team. And now back to the show. But let's get more into the meat and potatoes here. I mean, that's just the first half hour. That's a crazy amount of things to happen. Uh, Kathy runs into Raymond at a modern art show and causes a scandal by treating him like a human. She is shunned by her normal circle. Frank continues unraveling, drinking more and performing poorly at work. And in bed, he is unable to become aroused and hits Kathy. She is destroyed by this, and only a trip out with Raymond helps to distract her. They visit an all-black bar, and Kathy gets a sense of how the other side feels. But this news spreads, and Kathy tells Raymond that they can't be friends because society. So let's talk about Raymond here. He is a straight-up carbon copy of Golden Rain Tree. What was his name in All That Heaven? I can't remember. Uh, oh, shoot. I can't, I can't remember. remember either, but he was a great Rock Hudson. Rock Hudson. <laughs> he's Oh, he's an incredible Rock Hudson in this role. Who is Same scenario. Okay, so we run a nursery. We got it from our dad, and we're sort of... Uh, I mean, he has flies. that comforting voice where you're like... I don't know what insurance you're selling me, but I'm going to buy it. I'm having it. Yeah, just keep talking. Just keep talking. You want to read the phone book to me? Mm -hmm. Do we know? What's that actor's name? I can't remember. I, I don't know. But but like, just why is he not a leading man? Just with that voice and presence. Uh, I just, and I know, I think he went into television. I think he's on one of the law and orders maybe or something like that. Mm. But uh, I, I think that's where he ended up. But I don't know. I thought he was great in the film as a movie star. Uh, but and he he plays the Rock Hudson role to a T. Uh, he's he's got the outfit. I mean, the only thing Dennis we are missing Hayes is the buffalo Burt. plaid. Dennis Haysbert. Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know why he's not a leading man. Oh wait, he was, oh, I mean, he's beautiful enough to be. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, I mean, he's super handsome. He was mm -hmm. leading to exhale. <gasps> oh yeah. But yeah, I mean, I know. Like, I think he's <laughs> he's literally done some insurance. 
commercial for years, mm-hmm. like nationwide. But well, he probably made a truckload of money doing that. Yeah, well. I'm sure he did. Good for him. Um, because that is the voice of all state insurance, as far as I'm concerned. Right. Like I, I can hear it in my head. Uh, but he it's interesting. So he takes this this character of the sensitive intellectual nursery man, and it's interesting where Rock Hudson's version of this character gets his depth from his wartime experience and from his subsequent deep dive into the philosophies of Thoreau. And this is his sort of hidden wisdom that he can share with the world. Uh, in this case, it's just the fact that Raymond is a black man in 1950s America. That his his experience of being that person at that time is what kind of gives him more wisdom. Like it, it didn't take a war and it doesn't take a philosophy degree. It's just living in this world. And uh, it's a powerful performance. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, just very classy as a character. Absolutely. Even the struggles. Right. And it's interesting because at that point, the, the Frank news has already broken. So when we meet Raymond properly, when he starts being integrated into the story more properly, uh, as an audience member, I don't know what to think. I don't know what he's going to be bringing because the fact that we have uh, a black star in this type of movie, again, you wouldn't see it in the 1950s, but we know that there are African-Americans living in America in 1950. So it's it's sort of shocking to see that we're getting a main character here with that background. I mean, just through the eyes, not our modern eyes, it's not shocking at all. I mean, it, it's totally normal. But through the eyes of a 1950s melodrama, this is unique. And it's framed and set up perfectly where she's doing her interview for the local circular about what it's like to be an incredible superwoman of the 1950s. And they notice him in the backyard. And it is, it's a real moment of panic in that living room when they realize that there is a strange black man in their yard. And I hate to break it to everybody, but I think probably this is still happening in the world when somebody sees a black man in their yard. Uh, when I see a strange man in my yard in general, Stranger danger, of course. Always be on the alert. I'm just going to say, it doesn't matter what, but if some, what I mean, I'm going to be like, who? Yeah. And we should be clear. He's he's out there pruning branches. He's not doing anything. He's uh, immaculately dressed, minding his own business, doing yard work that you. Yeah. uh, His outfit is perfect. There's not a speck of incredible on it. Just, just need him in that buffalo plaid. That's the only thing missing. Is is just he, that it, red it plaid. plaid wool jacket. It just wasn't buffalo plaid. It was exactly. a more no. muted, like. But the plaid game is on point. Yes, right. I mean, like it's a very nice wool coat. I'm just, yes. you know, I didn't, I didn't get the Vermont. Feel. I didn't get the like we're going to snuggle in front of the fire. Vermont feels. Well, it's it's Connecticut style, <laughs> but yeah, I understand, and we don't really see. We don't get winter in this movie, do we? Even though no, no it's perpetual fall. Yeah, it just it's it gets it's well, they, they Christmas and then don't they go to Miami for New Year's? There's like a little bit of snow. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. I just I I only remember the the Miami bit, but yes. So uh, we meet Raymond, um, and she is so kind to him when she actually does sort out who the stranger in my yard is. And 
feels compelled to, of course, say that she has black friends slash I'm a supporter of the NAACP. And, uh, you know, I I believe in your march toward equality and everything, which he seems to genuinely appreciate and is something that probably was not said very often. The fight for equality, for, for racial equality. Of course, there were white people supporting this, but I imagine as we see in this film that it was probably difficult for some of them. Because as we see in the movie, as soon as she starts talking to the black man, the entire town is a buzz. Well, I think that the the entire town, the background characters, like even that journalist that was interviewing her, that's yeah. our reminder as a modern audience. Well, we wouldn't necessarily think anything of that conversation happening, but all those background players are the reminder that oh, it's shocking. Right. Because for us, it is not. But right. yes. but for society, they're clearly. I mean, and when I think of Connecticut, especially 1950s Connecticut, I think about fucking white people. If Shrishma was here, she would probably tell you the same thing. Yeah. But hey, Connecticut is code for a bunch of white people. Of course, that's not the case, and yet society has not uh, adjusted to the fact that everybody's on an equal playing ground in this country, in theory if not in practice. Uh, She meets up with Raymond at a modern art exhibit, which in itself, I mean, modern art, like this is, uh, this is kind of exciting and new for the 1950s, Uh, especially in Connecticut. I mean, they they don't quite know what to make of it all. Uh, Raymond has deep thoughts about it and she talks with him about it. And just the fact that she is talking art with this man, the fact that this man is in an art gallery uh, with his daughter is probably shocking and it just stokes the fires of the the old rumor mill which would have been very powerful is always traditionally very powerful we live in a very small country Catherine and i and the rumor mill is very powerful here carries a lot of clout and people are watching you and so this of course gets back eventually to frank who is outraged and furious about this, uh, mostly because it might look unfavorably, uh, you know, might shine unfavorably upon him in the eyes of his job. And he's very focused on his career. And he doesn't really have a leg to stand on. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, It's a, it's a classic double standard there, but it's, Hmm. uh, it's the fifties. We don't, (laughs) we're just learning about these things. Now they we talked about the party where uh, he, Frank tries to make love to his wife, and it doesn't work. And he is frustrated by this, and he hits her uh, as she tries to console him. And it's another one of those shocking moments that again yanks us out of the the fifties reverie that we've we've allowed ourselves into. Uh, but at that point in the film, all bets are off. Really, you you don't know what's going to happen. But she's devastated by this. And it's only the kindness of Raymond to, who recognizes whatever the case may be that this woman is in distress and she mm. is a, a nice person who has always spoken to him and been kind. Uh, so she, he takes her out to run some errands and they just spend a day together driving around. Now, this would be the part where he takes her out to his mill that he's converting and all that. Uh, in this case, we, d- we don't have that here, but we do go to an all-black restaurant, uh, presumably like on the outskirts of town, 
because this is one of the things that they they do talk about very openly is that she she has a hard time wrapping her mind around what it must be like for him to be surrounded by uh, you know white people or him being the outsider in any situation that he's in, and he turns the tables on her and gives her that experience. Uh, now this does end up working against them, not unlike white society turning their back on her. Black society starts to turn its back on him as well. For you know, so we're seeing it from both sides. Uh, yeah, how difficult this potential romance would be from any perspective. And I think actually this is the the, the moment it, because everybody's watching Gossip Gertie and all that. They're all watching everybody all the time. They see her go to this restaurant, which must be a known quantity of what it is like. And that that really gets the old rumor mill cranking. So, yes, and it, it goes. Does. But it gets to the rumor mill cranking on both ends of the social spectrum in, in mm-hmm. these two sort of parallel communities that live in Hartford. Yes, definitely. And this adequately reflects what society would have been like at the time. I mean, the, uh, mixing of races was a strict no-no by most of society at well, this point. I think point. it was actually illegal in a lot of states. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Same with homosexuality as well. I mean, the, it's there are real heavy very tall barriers here for for people trying to live their lives and just exist as who they are oh yeah so loving the virginia uh was 1967 okay and that would have struck down a law presumably yes, against the u.s supreme court uh, it's a landmark civil rights decision in which the supreme court ruled that laws banning interracial marriage violate the equal protection and due process clauses of the 14th mm. amendment. Okay. Okay. And 57, of course, is Just we are already, I'm sorry. Just saying like, this would be 10 years bef- before, before yeah. this, this case. So yes. And, and this is a, a fight for equality that really, I mean, we still fight it today, but this particular battle of this time, I mean, this it is like a 20-year process, uh, you know, starting with, and they make reference to the integration of the schools in the South. I think somebody, you know, makes reference right. to well, that in the film. Interesting, um, and just interesting historical note. So this, that particular case is one that's in Virginia, where I live. And the... Virginia was basically saying like, oh, no, you're violating our, our it was called like the Racial Integrity Act of nineteen Racial Integ- Integrity Act. Of- <laughs> right. But in Virginia, if you had like one drop of black, you're black, right? Mm-hmm. You were still considered white if you were a, a descendant of Pocahontas and John Smith or Pocahontas mm-hmm. and not John Smith. Who am I talking about? Her like second or first husband, whatever, whoever she had, I can't remember his name, but that's such a big part of Virginia history. They're like, well, but if if we're like talking about indigenous people, then that doesn't really count if it's Pocahontas. Let's go to act three here. Kathy and Frank vacation in Miami to heal, but he ends up falling in love with another man and confesses he wants a divorce. Meanwhile, Raymond's daughter is harassed by some white boys and Raymond makes plans to move away for a better life. Kathy is further destroyed by this and Raymond's feeling that they will never work. 
She sees them off at the train station and they part ways, presumably forever. So let's start with Miami. It's a, it's a classic. Dad comes home. We're going to fix everything. We're going to take a big vacation. Big vacation. Going to just erase that me belting you across the face thing and my boner mm-hmm. not working and, uh, you know, all the things involved with that. We're just going to, it doesn't matter because we're going on vacation. Actually, work has invited me to take some time off because I am fucking unraveling over here. Uh, as an alcoholic closeted gay man. And so we're going to go to Miami, which is the most 1950s destination you could possibly choose. We saw this written on the wind, of course. Believe me, you're not sterile, but your boner is not going to work, right? I mean, that's the whole deal here. So they go down to Miami and they're just vacationing and it's totally normal. We have an incredible scene where a little black boy tries Mm. to get into the swimming pool and not only are all of the white people at the white people pool just shocked and outraged and stunned and get out of the pool. You know, the water is now dirty. Right. Everyone exits the pool and you're like, no, terrible. Uh, But also totally realistic. I mean, especially in Miami in the South, the American South in the 1950s, you still, it's Jim Crow. It's still, if you're black, you can't go take a shit in a white man's toilet. It's it's that level of ridiculous. Don't drink out of the same water fountain. It's it's that thing in the 20th mm-hmm. century, the middle of the 20th century. Things that we're still still trying to unwind in the U.S. Um, and the fact that the person who pulls the boy out of the pool is another African American man who is uh, who works at the hotel and clearly uh, has the measure of what a no-no this is at the white pool because he scolds this little boy like he's his own and is himself shocked that the kid would be so bold as to go swim in the white people's pool. Um, Just further illustrating how ingrained this behavior is and how it affects people, again, trying to live their lives as they are. So we have that, but we also have a lot of, again, eye acting from Dennis Quaid, as he tries to tear himself away from the handsome young man who is giving him the bedroom eyes and then eventually does follow him back to the hotel room where they have an affair. And it's the same guy, right? That he falls in love with. Is this the same man? Okay. Okay. So, and that's not really young. I think the the lad. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed seemed like early twenties, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and maybe that, maybe his being in the early 20s, uh, as opposed to being more entrenched in middle age in a more traditional background, uh, maybe he indicates that, you know, there's a new generation around the corner coming who would not be so hung up with these things. I don't know. Uh, we don't get too much more background into this because it is more Kathy's story, but uh, apparently Frank maintains relations with this man somehow because he realizes that he's in love with him. And he has this incredible, uh, powerful scene where he breaks down and confesses his love uh, for this man to his wife and says that he would like a divorce. And again, this is, you know, Kathy's life as she knows it is totally unmoored and is just spiraling at this point. So you have this element combined with, her love for Raymond, who she she actually has to have the awful conversation of, I don't think I can be friends with you anymore. Just because, mm-hmm. you know, it's not because 
of how I feel, but because of how the world feels. They don't want this, and it makes it more difficult for both of us. And while Kathy is white, she is also a woman in 1957. So she is also battling her own prejudices and um, trying to break free from the box that we put around people at that time. So it is all terrible. <laughs> but all that being said, Frank does leave and he does uh, apparently have a very successful and happy relationship with his new man. And that's nice to see. Um, as we talked about earlier in the show, um, Raymond, when she does finally swing back around to Raymond and this is when, Oh, what leads to this is the fact that Raymond's daughter gets mm. chased down and it's just like an awful scene. It's not as awful as it could have been. I thought it was going to be so much worse and I'm glad it wasn't because I don't think I could take it at that point, but just seeing Raymond's daughter being stalked by these three little white boys, three, I mean, little boys in general, awful human beings, uh, little white boys in the 1950s, presumably like times 10, and the fact that they have no boundaries or sense of decency or whatever. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a nightmare scenario for his daughter and she gets hit in the head with a rock. They're throwing rocks at her. This is the exact moment when it starts to snow. I believe uh, we've been leading up through this beautiful mm-hmm. autumn foliage. And it's at this point that we actually see snow start to fly uh, just as when later at the, at the grand finale, when she sees them off at the train station, as soon as that happens, we lose all color saturation. It is It becomes the grayest picture you've ever seen for those two shots of her leaving the train station, getting into the car, and then pulling away, end of movie. That is a near monochrome. I mean, it's uh, yeah. just hammering home the devastation, the funeral yeah. of all that she knew and cared about. And, and then as she faces a very kind of bleak future, uh, possibly, I don't know. What do we think happens to Kathy? Let's, let's do some speculation here. What, where does she go from here after the end of this movie where her and Raymond cannot be together? He does move his daughter away uh, to try to start over again because he is also being shunned, as we said, by his own community. Uh, but what, what goes on with Kathy now? It's her and the kids, this big old house. I'm I'm personally curious what how the divorce settlement went. Um, is there alimony? Is there you know like does Frank keep working at Magnatech? Does he move somewhere else? Like you know, yeah, so like I I was sitting there thinking like how sh- how are we going to be keeping up this lifestyle? I don't right. think they can because I think at some point uh, when she's confessing to a friend about what's happening and what have you i think her friend asks you know if, if there are any savings and she says no nothing to speak of oh yeah so there's right. kind of if the asset is the house right yeah another another vintage american trope of like spending beyond your means to maintain mm-hmm. this lifestyle i mean i think that's every family in the u.s but yeah that's true so she's gonna that house is gonna go Viola Davis is probably going to go. I don't know. They're going to, or does she remarry? You know, one of uh, Frank's old pervy friends, you know, there, there were those other guys, those sort of, I I hope not. I hope she goes and finds something a little bit more authentic for herself. (laughs) I'm kind of hoping that just the change in wardrobe, which is a little bit of a nod to moving into a different phase of her life that we could take potentially project that like 
Mm. Maybe she gets really involved with the NAACP. Maybe she mm-hmm. starts exploring her intellectual interests and yeah, sells offloads the house or whatever. And mm-hmm. maybe this yeah. is where she, she buys the barn and redoes it. Right. And then she becomes like in magnificent obsession. I think it was, she becomes the artsy old man painting Jesus pictures or whatever. It's so funny mm-hmm. for all of the tropes that we get. Uh, we don't get any religion in this movie that I can That's recall anyway. Very 21st century. To get to ditch the religion in yeah. favor of the the social issues, yeah, I think that's that's more reflective of our modern times. Yeah, uh, and I think for the best, I don't think this movie could bear the weight of religious guilt thrown on top of it. I don't know. I don't know what kind of movie that becomes if you start yeah. bringing in like the local pastor showing up as well, uh, asking her a lot of questions, a lot of probing and inappropriate questions, as they no doubt would be. Um, um, you know, like, well, another take on this film would have been like, okay, they make friends with the neighboring Muslim family. We don't see any Muslim families in this picture. No, um, but you know, that, I'm aware that, would have, that, that they could have taken a page out of da- David's family's book and gone with that whole route of uh Scandinavian woman and the uh, Afghan man <laughs> making a life in Late 1950s Connecticut. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Or Virginia, Uh, which is is backwards. Different. Yeah. (laughs) We do see Kathy's, I don't know if it's an evolution necessarily, but she certainly becomes more comfortable talking about these issues, uh, being very enthusiastic about participating with the NAACP. She feels compelled to, you know, she's also dealing with the guilt of how she's had to treat her friend who is a person of color. Uh, and so she's, she's trying different things. You can see she's, she's trying to figure out the the best way to, to handle things, but all of this does lead to, you know, we see that she is being more outspoken about these things. She recognizes the how unjust the the dynamics of society are, how they're weighted against black people and presumably gay people as well. I mean, we don't mm-hmm. but also it's still I mean, I think appropriately so for this film, like somewhat in uh, limited scope is in like, oh, this is a, a an organization I can volunteer my time to. Uh, can I make a donation to, right. yeah, I mean, I want to help. Can I just like, can mm-hmm. I sign the petition and then move on with my life type of thing? There's a little bit of that. Right. I mean, so like in that regard, but that's appropriate for the time. And I mean, that's still absolutely where people are like, that's how I feel when things are reposted on social media where it's like, you're just reposting it on social media. Are you actually working towards improving that issue or addressing that issue? Or you're just like, I liked it and I reposted it. Yeah, right. Which Those is, are my virtue signals and right. they're enough. So like, that's, that's you know, funny. I checked the box. She yeah. seems to give a shit though. She seems to really care and be yeah. interested. So to her credit there, but I think all this leads to maybe she's not marching in Washington in support of civil rights or anything like that. But I, I could see her it? definitely you know, selling the the suburban house, maybe living a more artsy lifestyle and tapping into uh, herself and her own feminine powers and maybe, maybe becoming she becomes uh, a witch. It's like in Bell Book and Candle. Exactly. In the East. 
And, and it's on the, van, the vanguard of like beatnik 1960s leading into the cultural revolution. Maybe this I is mean, it. I mean, her kids will probably be fascinatingly um, maladjusted. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, they're, they're, those, those kids are on a journey themselves. Let's talk about the kids real quick before we wrap it up. Do you think the kids go and stay with dad? Oh, that's a great question because – like This is what I'm like. How would this have worked? Where, like it, like yeah, she sell, does she get the house in the divorce and he keeps working so she has to sell the house and are they allowed to go and like stay with their dad and like right yeah, and the new know. uncle <laughs> right, but right. i was that's that's my exact point of like now nowadays you wouldn't think twice about it I'd be like okay yeah exactly i, I think they would right figure it out they seem communicative i mean they're having all the tough conversations as a couple that would typically be avoided maybe in that place and time. I can't imagine the actual conversations conversations would have actually happened in the time. You don't think what would have happened at the time? I don't think the conversations would have like, I mean, to Catherine's point, I don't think there's a, they had a vocabulary to have those conversations. And I think this movie probably takes some liberties with in a 21st century sense, how we Mm -hmm. do have a vocabulary to talk about it because I mean, this this was going on well in, in, into, you know, the late, not just mid, but late 20th century. Yeah. Or, late, late. Late, yeah. like so late, where it was the 21st century. Right. It might actually be the 21st century. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, the, and, the, and the conversations, so I'm, I'm just like pointing out with that particular dynamic, I, I'm glad the movie goes there, but I don't think in the time period, if that was happening, that those conversations mm. were even being approached. Yeah, that might be the true fiction of this fictional right. film, because let's be real here. Every you know, we've noted it time and time again. People in the 1950s, they're drinking all goddamn day. They're not making peak decisions. You know, they're not making the most optimal decisions ever. Also, the gender dynamic is the man's in charge and the woman supports the man. The end, you know, that goes for... Oddly enough, we see the man falling apart in this film and Mm -hmm. the woman is the most capable, stable, Mm -hmm. open-minded of all the characters. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. And a testament to the power of you bright women. Testament to let's revise history slightly. (laughs) Just slightly. Yeah. Right. Because probably if this was real, he's knocking her around all the time, half in the the bag, getting beegers in the back of the theater and not telling anybody uh, just living double, triple lives. And also securing the new television account. Taking a lot of work trips. Yeah. Tons Mm -hmm. of work. trips. Yeah, sure. So many work trips. Sales conventions. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I mean, that's, that's the long and the short of it. You guys, that's far from heaven. And indeed life for Kathy Whitaker was far from heaven, right? For all of Great life, talk. Far from heaven. Uh, but let's, let's ask the ultimate question here. Carolyn Arrows, mm-hmm. 2002's Todd Haynes's Julianne Moore's far from heaven, a melodrama for modern eyes. Uh, but do we keep watching this thing? Yes. Do we? Okay. Yeah. I mean, one, I really enjoyed it because it gave me all of the things that I do like about that mid-century 
classic, like the cars, the clothes. I mean, I like the time period. Would I want to stick in those gender norms? No, because I would totally be like, I would like a wide leg pantsuit. And Mm -hmm. I would go to my very short haircut and be like, I'll fuck you all up. (laughs) (laughs) But that being said, I still like the aesthetic. So, and again, beautiful cinematography, beautiful costume design. Like all of it was done to a T. I was like, this is all that heaven allows. And in all the right ways. So, Made with so much love. You can tell that mm-hmm. oh, Todd yeah. Haynes, you know, for all the subversion in his version of this picture, he loves those, those films. You can it's tell, like I mean, a JJ Abrams, like star Wars. Right. That's, this is like a total fans, like not like loving homage, loving, loving homage. Yeah. Um, I also, I think, it's it is great that they went there with this film where we're talking about homosexuality where we're talking about race relations mm-hmm. and what what that means in that context and thinking about the realities of what what that may or may and and again noting like maybe they took liberties with frank being so open but at the same time on the other hand you know, the other character having to move to Baltimore. What is it? Raymond? Oh, God. Raymond, yeah. Raymond, yeah. It, packing up and moving to Baltimore. Yeah. Because no one in, in Hartford, Connecticut wants to hire him anymore because he talked to a white woman too many times. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I hate it. But uh, well illustrated in this film uh, for a movie that's only, well, like an hour and 15 yeah. minutes. It's less than two hours, right? I mean, you're getting a very complete telling of the unraveling of her life, her, her husband and his sexuality coming to terms with it. And Raymond uh, dealing with race relations in 1950s, Connecticut. It's a full menu of, of issues that are uh, attacked here and are handled pretty well. But I also love that they flipped the scripts on, on Kathy's character and that she went to a black restaurant. Oh yeah. Like, I I mean, like that, you... uh, that that whole scene in that moment was like, yeah, this goes both ways in terms of these parallel communities. Yeah, absolutely. And people raising an eyebrow and being like, what are you doing? Right. Mm-hmm. Raymond was getting that just as much as Kathy was. Yep. Absolutely. To a point where he's got to fucking move because they're breaking his windows. It's terrible. Which it's basically what's going to happen to Kathy too. She's gonna have to sell that house and move because she's gonna be a pariah. Start in that over society. again. Yep. Rip it up and start again. Yeah. Okay. So you're keeping it, Carolyn. I'm keeping it. Catherine Sherlock, though. Hmm. 2002's Far From Heaven, I believe Academy Award nominated for Best Picture, uh, Far From Heaven. But do we keep watching it? Society in the modern here and now. Yes. I think so, okay. for all, all of the reasons um, previously stated and the fact that it is just wonderful to look at and it's modern storytelling. There's no cotton wool padding around any of this. It's, um, yeah, it's yeah modern storytelling, shocking, considering the era and, um, yeah, just lifting lifting the veil on that on what was probably actually happening 
Exactly. Rather yeah. than the fantasy that's, you know, we've all been spoon-fed from Hollywood of that era. Mm-hmm. Which, and those fantasies being built around, as we talked about, class issues and, you know, can can a, can a woman marry her gardener and things like that, a, a bit frothier than the actual social issues of the time. It's very telling now to to go back and think of the drama of those pictures after seeing this movie, because they do seem kind of trite and frivolous yes, in comparison to what, to what these real people are doing. So it's a yes from you. It's a yes for me. I, I was so surprised uh, and delighted to, uh, by how this played out. I'd never seen it. Like I said, I'd never seen it before and agree with everything everybody says. And it's just nice to see, uh, a beautifully filmed homage also give you the extra, which is we're going to yank the rug out on all these characters in very plausible ways, but ways that they were not mature enough to deal with back in the day. And uh, it's fantastic. So yeah, far from heaven. And like you say, Catherine, uh, just a beautiful representation of the time and place as well. Like just really immaculately done. Will we ever find out about the queen size bed in in Frank's bedroom <laughs> or like what their sleeping arrangement is? Right. I don't know. I'm up for a sequel though, whenever they want to make it. Let's set it in say 1963, uh, man's favorite sport era. And let's catch up with Kathy and see where she's at now. The kids are off at boarding school. She is a proto hippie beatnik maybe smoking a jazz cigarette while she paints her abstract uh, work out in the barn. That's what I'd like to see. I don't know. She's going to be an organic farmer. Yeah. Oh, she's definitely doing some of that too. (laughs) And she's using her mill wheel as a kitchen table. She's repurposing Mm -hmm. a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's all very eco-friendly. One cow, about 12 chickens. Yeah. 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 She raises her own chickens, of course, and Mm -hmm. uh, barefoot. For a lot of it, too, probably big old dirty sundresses. I don't know. We're way off script at this point. What Let's do you talk- with us? <laughs> yeah. Ex- well, okay. So th- this is the question now. Uh, for all of our adventures through time, when we we travel through the window of time, here through a double lens of the window of <laughs> the early 2000s, uh, looking back on the 1950s, and we're in 2023, of course. So I guess we, we didn't really talk about it, but early 2000s, gay people still fighting for rights to be treated equally. Uh, 9/11. Same thing with black people. Yes. So, I mean, years, we're still... And, and, right, and this is immediately after 9-11. So that's a whole other set of circumstances to, to gaze at this through. Um, so all of these issues are still being worked on when this movie comes out to show, hey, isn't it crazy how... Uh, things were back then and isn't it crazy how things still kind of are right now we're just not as uh if it had been made after they probably would have gone with the muslim family that moves in next door yeah possibly quite possibly all that to say let's talk artifacts guys when we take these adventures through time we bring back each of us one item that we would like to take back to current day to place lovingly in our museum of mid-century life, which we call the Boom Room. You can find that over on our Patreon. Link is in the show notes. You can get all the details on that there for a mere $2, two Yankee dollars. But Carolyn now, Rose, what would you like to take from this motion picture to put into our beautiful museum? The purple scarf. 
Oh, mm, nice. the one that Raymond just assumes was hers because of the, the color, the color, because of the color. Perfectly. yeah, because it yeah. was just right. Um, yeah. And it certainly was. You got it. Scarf for you. Sherlock, what do you want to bring? I'm a bit torn because I, I really quite enjoyed the Magnetic artwork that was on easels. Oh, spectacular. Um, but I In also the lobby just, too. Oh. Um, really just was very drawn to the colours. I don't know how we do it, but like the whole <laughs> autumnal colours. Um, all of the dresses. And all of the dresses, that, <laughs> that, that beautiful autumn yeah. spectrum. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Uh, oh, one thing we did not mention uh, in the, the movie theater. Now, did you notice the the coding at the movie theater? We go from Three Faces of Eve, where Frank goes on his uh, dangerous excursion into the, the gay underworld of Hartford, Connecticut. That movie is switched out for Hilda Crane, period appropriate, 1957, Ooh. but also the tale of a woman who's trying to redefine her life and figure out her place in society within right. the, mm. you know, the framework of all these different men coming at her. And of course, this is when shit is really going off the rails for our Kathy. So it's only appropriate. You guys, Hilda Crane uh, yeah. shocked. We didn't see a Hilda Crane's bedroom at any point in this film. <laughs> that would have been the ultimate tribute is either that or the accordion doors leading into the side parlor that we've, we've analyzed at length in previous so, episodes. You, now you just ruined the surprise that I'm making my guest bedroom, Hilda Crane's bedroom. Are you really, <laughs> are you doing <laughs> lots of those, <laughs> those silhouette portraits hanged randomly mm -hmm. at the wall just to fill mm -hmm. spaces on a very yep. busy uh, wallpaper. Okay. Mm -hmm. I love it. I can't wait to be a part of that. <laughs> I'm making but, it just for you. <laughs> okay. Well, I appreciate that. You know how I love Hilda Crane's house, the, the purgatory of Hilda Crane's recurring house. Uh, okay. So we've got autumn for Catherine. You've got the scarf. I'm going to go with, I was really tempted to take that Nefertiti artwork just because we've seen it before, but I want to be more specific to this movie. I would like a copy of that circular with the interview uh, with, with Kathy Whitaker. Uh, that I think would that be, would be either good, e either that or the NAACP pamphlet. Uh, or the know, truck. Some of the Raymond's mail. Truck. Well, I mean, again, anything Raymond's got going at this point as a nursery man in 1957, like we could take all that stuff. I want it all. Uh, okay, you guys. So next week, let's talk about it. Old time movie machine rolls on with a very extra special episode because next week is, I'm sure we all know, it's uh, it's not a time of celebration, but it's certainly a time of uh, memorials. Next week, we're going to be memorializing the 60th anniversary of the Kennedy assassination by watching Oliver Stone's 1991 classic question mark. JFK, uh, which takes place beyond our window of time for the most part, but because we're talking Kennedy assassination uh, in depth in this wacky movie, which is, again, one of the, the key ending points for our adventures through the window of time. This is one of the pillar events, the Kennedy assassination, that helps lead us in properly into the 1960s. New Orleans District Attorney Jim Garrison discovers there's more to the Kennedy assassination than the official story. Dun, dun, dun. And that is next week on Old Movie Time Machine's Old Time Movie Machine series. Thanks so much, Catherine and Carolyn. And until next time, please never forget, you guys out there in listening, that this has been 
Old Movie Time Machine.